Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my podcast called Behind You where once a week I sit down and I talk about a true crime case ranging from all things true crime all the way from murders, cults, disappearances, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe on the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday, or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. And in today's specific case, we are going to be talking about Richard Huckle. But before getting into today's case, I do want to give a content warning because a lot of the stuff that we are going to be talking about will have to do with children. It's child abuse. A lot of it is child sexual assault. So just going into that beforehand, I do want to give a content warning. That is a subject we will be talking about. I won't go into graphic details or anything out of respect for all of the children who had suffered by the hands of Richard Huckle, but I do talk briefly of it, and even talking briefly about what he did is still very graphic, and so I do want to give that warning before going into today's case. Richard Huckle was born on May 14th of 1986 in Ashford, Kent, England. He was born into a middle-class family and had a very ordinary childhood. As a child, he wasn't a big troublemaker. He got decent grades. He had a good group of friends. He was well-liked. And then as he got older, he went to Harvey Grammar School in Folkestone, and he was described as, quote, a bit of a loner, but nothing out of the ordinary. But overall, he was very well liked, he was very smart, and then at the age of 16, he was actually able to go on a month-long expedition and visit a school in Nabia, South Africa. So he went on a month-long exhibition, and that's where he got the rest of his schooling from, but it was more as like a volunteer opportunity to help out the unfortunate people living in unfortunate situations. And then a year later, at 17, that is when he came back from his trip and he had graduated high school, but before graduating high school, as like a graduation birthday gift, his parents had gave him a digital camera because previously he had an interest in photography. But unfortunately, this very innocent interest in photography would be the gateway into a lot of his terrible crimes. Now, Richard's family was quite religious growing up. They weren't very religiously strict, but they did go to church every Sunday, and for some reason, Richard just wasn't really the type of person to go until after he graduated high school, he decided that he wanted to go with them, and so that's when he started to attend the Ashford Baptist Church, and even people at the church described him to be very quiet, but at the church, although he was quiet, he was a very big help. He used his camera and his love for photography to help the church. He would take baptism photos and videos of religious events like worship nights. And so shortly after this, he decided that he wanted to go to college and that's where he attended the South Kent College and he was in their two-year program where there he majored in information and communication technology and also had a certification in photography. But then he graduated South Kent at 19 and he realized that he didn't want to go into a job for IT just yet. He wanted to pursue going to third world countries and taking photos of all of his traveling adventures. So that's when he decided to take a gap year before going into the rest of his schooling and he spent his gap year in Malaysia. But he did not go to Malaysia on his own dime though. He actually went through an organization called World Challenges, which from their website they are described to be quote, shaping global citizens through tailored journeys of culture. Our seven to 13 night learning service journeys are cleverly curated to foster global citizenship through cultural immersion. It's about taking students out of their bubble, expanding their mind through the sharing of cultures. 
So it's basically a volunteer program. You get to go to third world countries and help out all while staying with a local family and learning about the cultures. And this was perfect for Richard because he really enjoyed taking photos. His dream was to be a traveling photographer for like National Geographic. So this was going to be perfect for him. And so he thought that if he got good enough pictures in Malaysia all while helping out people, that is something that he wanted to pursue before either continuing college or getting a full-time job. But when Richard signed up for World Challenges before even going to Malaysia, he said in an email while signing up that he specifically wanted to work with the schools and orphanage. So when he put on his application that he really wanted to be in a school or an orphanage, there were actually four orphanages that were looking to have him come in, but only one of them followed through with that because the other three said that they just didn't feel comfortable with it. But that one orphanage that did accept him, there was something that went wrong with the processing of it all, so he wasn't able to actually go to that orphanage. So instead of going there, that is when him and his friend Sammy, who he went on this trip with, were both sent to work in a school and teach English to the young children in Malaysia. Now, Sammy and Richard shared an apartment together during this time, and um, Sammy would go on to say that Richard was very, very quiet. He was definitely a lot more outgoing through, like, emails or online, but in real life, he was very nervous all the time, and he didn't really interact with anyone that much, including the kids, although he said that he was very good with kids, he was very passionate about teaching kids in the next generation. Sammy said that most of the time, all he would really do was take pictures. That is when he switched churches and he decided to start attending another church called Praise Church in Kuala Lumpur. It was at this church where Richard actually taught a Sunday school and this would be later on referred to as in his diary as, quote, his hunting ground. Richard kept a journal throughout all of his expeditions into other countries. Even at this time, he was only 19 years old and he was keeping a diary accounting all of the children that he taught at this Sunday school. There was one entry that even read, quote, I had some of the children sit down with me for a cuddle. We got out the mattress and we had a relaxed session. And so even though Richard was so young, he was still a teenager at this time, this is where he really started to go into his pedophilic ways and this is where he started to actually act upon those very disgusting things. The pastor of this praise church would actually go on to say that Richard was never with the children unsupervised, as well as him never even being a Sunday teacher at the school, despite all of Richard's journal entries saying that he was able to get alone time with the kids and he was teaching them. It was also during this time where, as I said, the only reason he was in Malaysia was due to the World Challenge program. But the World Challenges program dropped Richard from the organization after receiving a complaint of how Richard had hit one of the children. So shortly after being dropped from the organization, he had nowhere to stay. He really didn't have much money, but Richard still wanted to stay in Malaysia. So that is when he started to take this time to get better at his Tamil. And then he just sort of became a solo traveler doing freelance photography in Malaysia and he was actually during this time accepted into many families in villages. He was accepted into their homes. These families would take him in and give him a place to sleep and make him food. So although he was homeless basically, he really wasn't homeless because a lot of these families sought trust in Richard and sought that, you know, he's just a solo traveler. He doesn't know the area. Let's take him in and take care of him. And unfortunately, a lot of these families that would take him in actually had children. 
And then in 2006, the following year, at 20 years old, he decided to take a trip to Cambodia because he realized all of this solo traveling in Malaysia just really wasn't working out for him financially. Uh, So that is when he took a trip to Cambodia and it was in Cambodia where he started to execute on his crimes. As I said, he would very often uh, stay with local families who trusted him and had them in their home. And so there was one specific family in Cambodia that allowed Richard to stay with them. And the family said that Richard was very kind and he was very sweet and he even offered free services to teach all of their kids English. So the family felt very trusted of Richard, but unfortunately, this family actually had a two-year-old daughter. And this two-year-old daughter was unfortunately Richard's very first victim. Richard would sexually abuse this two-year-old girl and film his crimes. It was during this time as well where he started volunteering at a local church where he, quote from his diary, fell in love with a three-year-old girl and over the next several years, he began to sexually abuse her regularly. And it was also during this time where Richard was on the dark web a lot and he would document a lot of his crimes on the dark web to other pedophiles and there was actually a post that he made when talking about this three-year-old girl where he said quote I'd hit the jackpot a three-year-old girl as loyal to me as my dog and nobody seemed to care the three-year-old I can have so much blank with that it's just boring well at least now she's ready for business with pedo funding And pedo funding, for those who don't know, which I'm glad you don't know, um, is a website on the dark web where people promote and sell CP. He not only used his camera to film and take pictures of his crimes with this three-year-old girl, but he would also make this three-year-old girl watch the videos as Richard continuously abused her more. This little girl, however, um, like a couple years later, would come out to her father about what had happened between her and Richard, but this situation was dismissed and she was just told to keep quiet. And then shortly after this, there were two other victims of Richard, a four-year-old and a six-year-old girl who were sisters, and Richard would also frequently sexually assault both of these little girls. There were a lot of things online that were saying that this four-year-old and six-year-old were actually a part of the same family as the two-year-old that um, Richard was living with, but I couldn't really find confirmation on that so they could be a part of the same family but it is speculated that these two girls were a part of this family after the family that Richard was living with had invited him to go to an extended family's party and that's where he met this four and six year old girl so whether or not they were a part of the same family or maybe they were just family friends visiting but those um but I read a couple of articles that were saying that Richard lived in Cambodia until 2007 and then that's when he went back home to the UK but he would frequently make trips to and from Malaysia until in 2010 at 24 years old he decided to move to Malaysia full time Nearby where he was staying, there was a small village that welcomed Richard in and even allowed him to teach English at a local school there, and the village was mostly comprised of poor and uneducated families. The community accepted Richard, gave him a place to stay, and Richard even enrolled in a CELTA or Certification in English Language Teaching to Adults before moving. So not only was he teaching English to kids, he was also licensed to teach English to adults as well, which would expand his horizons and also gain the trust of others a lot more. So once he moved to Malaysia, more specifically, specifically Kuala Lumpur, he began his work as a freelance photographer in local communities and would even make advertisements in the newspapers about him being a certified English teacher for adults and kids. 
Richard did enroll in a information tech study course at Kuala Lumpur Metropolitan University College, but he did not complete his studies. As I said, Richard Wood posted the papers about how he was a photographer, but he was also a private English tutor, and Richard's main tactic to getting alone with children or getting access to children was through teaching. He would even offer his services of private tutoring for absolutely free. Richard would also hang a lot around Port Dixon Beach in Malaysia, and he would even ask families that were just going to the beach if they would like professional photos taken of their kids. And usually in those situations, you would not really think anything creepy of it. You'd just be like, oh, you know, this this, this tourist wants to take photos of our kids and you know he probably is like a professional photographer from the UK he probably just wants to take pictures and then after Richard is done taking the photos he would even ask the parents hey let me get your email or your number so I can send these photos to you thus gaining more access to the children and keeping in touch with the families. And this is something that he would do very frequently as seen in his diary. He would do this tactic a lot and unfortunately, this is how he would gain access to children to abuse them. And he would also, um, to these families, say that he was a certified English teacher for both children and adults and he would even offer his services completely for free and when and you are in a third world country and someone offers you free education, that is like a dream come true, especially learning English because there are a lot of people who come to America in hopes of a better life and in hopes of a, you know, freer country where you're able to give your kids a better life. And so if someone is coming up to you and saying, hey, um, I will give your child education for absolutely free. I will teach them how to be fluent in English for absolutely free. That's a deal that you really can't turn down. So people hearing this offer, they just felt like it was a dream come true, you know, because if your kids know English, then that gives your kids the opportunity to move to America one day and have the freedom to do whatever they want to, you know, live the American dream. And all you really want for your kids is the best. And so a lot of these families would say yes. They'd be, of course you can for free. I mean, where, where's the risk? But again, Richard did not really care about giving kids a better life or giving kids a free education. All he would really care about is getting the child alone. And there was one specific diary entry during this time that Richard wrote that said, quote, I'm back again at Port Dixon and staying around the house of my 12th family. I spent time with the baby, trying to get her to sleep in a hammock. So as you can see, already Richard has gained the trust of 12 different families just by going to the beach and approaching families with this offer. And not only is he gaining access to these children and their families, he's also getting alone time with children as well. From that diary entry, he's alone with a baby in a hammock. And so these families clearly do trust Richard enough to be alone with their children. And so Richard, uh, since he was a solo traveler, he was just kind of staying with local families a lot of the time. That is when he decided to uh, go and travel in India. And it was here where he tried to pick up some volunteer opportunities or even work full time at orphanages specifically. But most of the protocols at this orphanages or all of the orphanages that he applied to was that you were not allowed to have any unsupervised time with the children. So after three years of living in Kuala Lumpur, uh, in 2013, at the age of 27, he emailed an orphanage by the name of New Hope for Children, and he presented himself in an email as a photographer and a video editor, as well as an English teacher, and he wanted to get the opportunity to offer his services to the orphanage for absolutely no cost. The pastor would later describe Richard as very quiet and 
awkward. He never once looked into the eyes of any adults that were there. And even when having conversations, he wouldn't look directly into your eyes, but more past you. And meanwhile, all of this was going on. This is where, obviously, you know, Richard, the only reason he wanted access into these orphanages was not for the children, but to sexually abuse them. And during this time, this is where he started to use his photos and videos for financial gain. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, Pedo Funding. It's a website where you basically sell and exchange CP and this is where he started to do it a lot more frequently. Reports say that there were hundreds and thousands of photos that he had uploaded to the dark web of his sick acts dating all the way back to 2005 and a specific website that he would frequently go on was called The Love Spot which was similar to pedo funding. It's a website where people exchange and buy CP, but this specific site, The Love Spot, had over 45,000 active members. So to even make an account on the website and access all of its dark content, since this was the dark web, there were a lot of rules and regulations in doing so. In order to access the site, you needed to upload to the site at least once a month and if your account looked even a little suspicious you would be immediately terminated there were ranks similar to video games and the more you uploaded on the website the higher your rank would be and the highest rank you could get was called producer status and this was a website, uh, The Love Spot, where Richard was mainly on. This was the website where he would always post all of his disgusting crimes to everything that he did with children, even photos of children. As I said, thousands of photos were found after, you know, everything he had uploaded to this website, as well as many, many videos. Now, this was very surprising because when you look at Richard, Richard simply just looks like a normal guy. There's nothing super, you know, stereotypically creepy about him. And so now knowing what we know thus far, I wanted to take a second to kind of do a deeper analysis on Richard specifically and exactly why he committed all of these crimes and what was motivating him to do more. So I think it's very important to mention that on the love spot, Richard was indeed producer status. He was uploading weekly to this website and not only was he uploading weekly but he got so involved into his online presence that he would even start making titles and descriptions for his quote-unquote movies or his photos. He would also produce themes to his photos and his videos. And so although Richard from the outside or to any average person looks like a normal person, I mean all of these families completely trusted him and took him into their own home where their own kids lived and gave him food and a roof over his head. So, of course, he seemed very approachable, but pedophilia, when it comes to many different individuals who are pedophiles, it develops through a number of different things through a number of different people, such as differences in brain structures, hormones, developmental differences, or childhood experiences. Richard, from what we can see thus far, committed his disgusting crimes for the purposes of just feeling power over the individual. He targeted specifically children in poverty and in third world countries because he knew that they were easier to control and if they spoke up to anyone about it, no one would really listen to them. And so what Richard was doing was not only just for personal enjoyment, but it was also for financial gain and gaining the validation 
of others online. Whenever he would post a video or photo online, there would be tons of comments of people saying that they truly loved his content or that the only reason they were on the website was to watch Richard's content. And so with all of this validation and encouragement that Richard was getting online, it made Richard want to pursue what he was doing even further and, you know, being more consistent with it. And he truly believed that what he was doing online and this terrible, disgusting thing was an art. He didn't really see anything long term. He didn't see how he was truly traumatizing and affecting these children for the rest of their lives. He didn't really see that. All he saw was his personal fulfillment from his actions. And there were also many instances and many posts that he made on the love spot where he felt that he was superior to other pedophiles in the group because he was, quote, getting out there. And also due to his producer status uh, on the website, his high ranking, that also fueled his ego even more. And by doing this, he felt like he was winning at something. When he felt like he was at a high ranking, he felt that sense of power. He felt power over a bunch of other people on the website, people that were going on the website to watch his videos and his picture specifically. And so it truly was a power dynamic for Richard. He knew that he could get away with these things because he knew that his victims were children in poverty, uh, children who were uneducated, and children who were very vulnerable to this thing that Richard was doing to them. And not only was Richard committing these crimes, he would commit his crimes and immediately be engulfed in a community, a supportive community online that would make him feel as if if his actions were okay and were even being applauded. And this is why Richard always took it a step further. So I truly believe that Richard did what he did as a way to gain that sense of power and validation from others. And it's sort of like a drug. You can't just easily walk away from it. It's, you know, you need that high, you need that validation, you need that power over someone else. And that power is truly what Richard craved, and the more he did it, the more he craved it. And the more he craved it, the more he did it. And so then in November of 2013, to further examine Richard's, you know, need to be more powerful and in control, Richard created a point system for his crimes, which was later found by police in the same diary as he would make all of his diary entries in. He kept a log of all of his crimes and placed them into point systems, and this point system was called the, quote, pedo points chart. The chart was comprised of 15 different categories, 15 different sexual abuse categories that he would commit onto children, and each category was worth a specific amount of points. The highest category on this chart was rape, and that was worth 15 points. And so every time he would commit a crime uh, of the 15 categories, he would just mark it off and add his points as he went along. And after an entire year of keeping this chart, Richard had a score of 1,305. And that means, you know, with rape being 15 points, if he were to just purely commit rape, he would have had to do it 87 times within that span of a year. And I don't assume that that is all he did. He probably did other things as well. And so just that number is just, it's so disgusting and it's truly heartbreaking that possibly 87 children are now traumatized for the rest of their life and have to deal with the consequences that Richard had, you know, done to them. Richard had given them a lifelong trauma and lifelong trust issues and their incapability to open up to others in the future all because of Richard's selfish and personal gain and the validation that he received from this online. But in 2014, Richard's crimes would soon come to light. 
In 2014, Richard was, as I said, very frequently on the love spots. He had a producer status, but little did he know there was actually a police officer, an Australian task force by the name of Argos, actually had access to the love spot, and they've had access to the love spot for months. And the department had been locating and closing in on about 30 of its highest members, one of those members including Richard. But how exactly did this task force Argos even gain access to the website with its extreme security and rules? Well, back in 2011 in Toronto, Canada, the police were able to find a dark website by the name of Azolf Films. And on this website, it was very, very similar to the Love Spot in that it was just the exchange and buying of CP online. And so this was a site that the police had known about for months and were closing in on a bunch of people who were frequently using Azov Films, as well as the owner of the website of Azov Films. They eventually caught the guy who was the owner of Azov Films, and a side note, um, because I feel like this sort of plays into what we are about to talk about later, Azov Films, the guy who was running the site, his name was Brian Way, and he was operating the site for only a couple of years, and even in those couple of years of running the site, had garnered over $4 million off of his website, and after he was caught, he was arrested, and the site was taken down. He was supposed to serve 10 years, which way too little, first off, way too little, until he was in therapy and he had opened up to his therapist about actually being sexually and physically abused as a child as well as in prison. And so somehow his 10-year sentence had only turned into 20 months as well as a $20,000 bail. Now, as I said, he made $4 million off of this website. He can definitely spare $20,000. And so as of 2016, he was released and Brian Way, as of right now, is out and about. He's out in the world. Um, Next time you get on a bus, he could be sitting right next to you. He could still be running the same exact sort of website that he did before he went to jail. Um, And that's just a little side note because I thought that was absolutely insane and mind-boggling how there's people in jail right now that are going through life sentences because they were caught with like a little bit of drugs on them or now having to serve like 30 years after finding like a pound of marijuana on them. Although this guy ran a CP website for a couple of years and got four million dollars off of it and had and encouraged the abuse, the sexual abuse of so, so many children. And he only got 20 months barely because he made bail as soon as that bail was like available to him. It's just it's crazy. Along with finding the creator of Azov Films, they were actually able to locate one of its highest members, a man in Queensland, Australia. And this man not only had an account to Azov Films, but he was also one of the highest members on a website called The Love Spot. And so that is how the Australian task force um, Argos was able to get an account into The Love Spot and having their account not see seeming super suspicious because the account already had activity of posting CP in the past from this guy. So once they gained access to the love spots, they were trying to find the owner of the love spot, similar to how the Toronto police had tried to find the owner of um, Azov Films. So with 45,000 active members, like these weren't just members that would, you know, make an account and then never go on it again. These were people that were frequently on the website all the time. And so with that big of a active member community, it is assumed that this website was most likely a multi-million dollar website, but the owner of this website actually made the mistake of posting his own personal content to the website
site as well. And from what the task force could tell by the surroundings of this of these photos that he would post, they assumed that he was indeed in the Australia area. They also noted that whenever the owner of this website would always uh, post things or such as like announcements of the website, he would always start with the same greeting and it was H-I-Y-A apostrophe S, just Hayas. So the police try to use this greeting as a way to find their guy and they actually did. They did a little bit of digging and they were able to find a forum of a guy with the opener Hayas and it was on a like car forum where basically he was looking for a 4x4 body lift kit for his car and they noticed that the username of this guy on the forum was very very similar to the username that was the owner of the love spot and so after doing doing a little bit digging into who posted on this forum site, they were met with a dead end because the account that posted on this forum was just a throwaway account until they ended up going on Facebook and they noticed that there was the same exact post with the same exact picture, same exact caption on Facebook Marketplace trying to find the same exact part and this included the same exact photo with the same exact caption but similar to the forum post this Facebook account was simply just a throwaway account so the task force had made a fake Facebook account and started to interact with this person trying to get more information on who they were where they lived and then when they said okay well what kind of car do you have the person sent back a photo of their car that they were trying to look to get a body lift for and to their surprise when he sent over the picture of the car he did not blur out his license plate number so they knew exactly that this was the guy and they knew exactly where he lived so through his license plate number they were able to track down and arrest 32 year old shannon mccall and when they got a search warrant to search his place, they immediately found his laptop was open and there were a bunch of hard drives everywhere. And ironically, his laptop was open to the Love Spot page and the operating page, not even as if he was viewing it. So that's how they knew they had gotten the guy and this was the owner of the Love Spot. And an extremely messed up and disgusting and infuriating aspect to all of this is that Shannon, his job, full-time job, was him working at a daycare. And a lot of, like, people at the daycare... Um, they describe Shannon to be very sweet, very kind. He was very good with kids. And a lot of, you know, the women that would go in there, they saw a guy working at a daycare and they saw that as very kind, very wholesome, very attractive. You know, they thought like, oh my God, he's good with kids. That's so sweet. But unfortunately, it was a lot darker than that. And another very infuriating part is not only did he work at a daycare so he had a lot of access and alone time with a lot of children who later came out to be a lot of his victims um he worked at this daycare despite in the past he had been arrested on three different occasions for child abuse so although he was arrested three different times for child abuse, sexual child abuse, he was still able to work at a daycare. That is so, it's, oh my god, words can't even explain how frustrating and terrifying that is that no one did a background check and just saw that this guy was arrested three different times for the same exact crime and you are putting him in a classroom full of children and I don't think anyone that worked at the daycare was aware of Shannon's past because as I said a lot of the people who worked there thought that it was very sweet that Shannon was very good with kids or he knew how to like take care of the kids and so people thought that was very sweet very kind but 
not even knowing the fact that he had been arrested three times already for sexual abuse against children. But Shannon was arrested and now he is still in prison to this day where he serves out his 35-year sentence, which again, way too short of a sentence. I feel like for something like this, it deserves a life sentence. This is something that is not just going to go away after you spend some time in prison. As soon as you get out of prison, you're gonna want to do it again. That's not something that being in prison could teach you. So now that the police officers had gotten uh, Shannon, they were able to gain full access of the love spot as well as access to all of its highest members. And that was specifically a very small group of people that reached producer status of the website. These were people that posted very, very frequently on the website and one of those people was Richard Huckle. When looking more into Richard's profile, of course, he was under an alias on this website, but he would upload CP very weekly, and he, again, was very invested in it. He would say frequently on the website that he wanted to be remembered in the pedo community for his photography, but upon looking through Richard's photos, they were able to track down that Richard was someone in Malaysia, but they were unsure where in Malaysia he was located. So they took a look at Richard's photos, but Richard was just as hard as Shannon to track down. There was no IP address they could get. There was no location they could get. All they really had was what the pictures told them. And so since they could figure out that he was located somewhere in Malaysia, that is when they took Richard's photos and they were able to find out what model of camera he was using. And so they linked this camera that he was using to Flickr. Um, Flickr is basically a website. It's mostly for photographers where you can post all of your photos on there. And so they typed in the type of camera model that he was using to Flickr and located that camera to be in Malaysia. And through that, they were able to find a Flickr account that had the same exact camera model was located in Malaysia and the username was very, very similar to Richard's profile on the love spot. Through this Flickr account, they found his email address and then through his email address, that is where they located the exact man behind all of this because of Richard's business, which was called Huckle Photography Productions. And this production company just so happened to be based out of Malaysia. So through this production company, they were able to find Richard's Facebook and saw that about 90% of Richard's Facebook photos were all of him and children. They noticed that Richard worked at a Sunday school. He also taught English to kids. As I said, a lot of his photos were of him with kids. And it was later known that a lot of the children that Richard would take photos with on his Facebook account were actually children that he was behind the scenes frequently sexually abusing as well as taking videos and photos of them and posting them on the love spot. And a main giveaway that they were able to know that this in fact was the guy that was on the love spot was because in some of the photos that Richard would post to his Facebook account, the photos that he was posting of him with these children were the same exact children that were found on this account on the love spot. And so that is how they knew that this was indeed the guy they were looking for. But unfortunately, Australia couldn't do anything about this because Richard was a resident of the UK. So Australia had presented all of this to the UK. And so the UK tried to talk with Malaysian police and say, hey, you need to deport him back to the UK because um, he committed all of these crimes. And the UK had handed off all of this evidence to the Malaysian police. But unfortunately, the Malaysian police did not intervene for an entire four months because of, quote, insignificant evidence. 
So the UK at that point, there was nothing really they could do except just wait for the one day that Richard just comes back home to visit his family because Malaysian police felt like this was something that they didn't want to intervene with. They felt like there wasn't that much evidence, which I mean, how much more evidence do you need? Until one day, four months later on Richard's Facebook page, he had posted to his wall saying that he couldn't wait to go back home to the UK and visit visit his family. And then on December 14th of 2014, that is when Richard's flight landed to the Gatewick airport where his family was waiting there to pick him up, but the police were already waiting at this airport ready to arrest Richard before Richard's family were able to see him. Upon being arrested, they were um, he was immediately taken into questioning where all of his laptops and hard drives were also thoroughly searched. But a lot of these hard drives and laptops were only, um, had like layers and layers of encryption on it. Like you really needed to know every single password in order to get inside. But as soon as Richard walked into the interrogation room, he was immediately uncooperative. He didn't say anything to the police. He just sat there in silence, even though the police were asking him questions. And so with Richard not complying and them not being able to get into his laptops or his hard drives without any of the passwords, Richard was released on parole, but under the condition that he stay at his parents' home until further notice. And so that night, however, after all of this, you know, his family is in a complete shock. They don't know what to think. And so his mom and dad sat down with him and was like, listen, did you do this? You need to tell us the truth. And to that, Richard actually said yes. He opened up to his parents about all of his crimes. He confessed to everything and immediately his parents called the police and the police showed up and arrested Richard. Richard was arrested and charged that same exact day with over 90 counts of sexual offenses on children as well as distributing and creating CP. Although he was only found guilty of 90, it is speculated that he had abused in some form over 200 children. As I said, there were only 90 that he was being charged with. That doesn't even count for all of the thousands of photos that he took on his wall, on his love spot wall, and also before he even started uploading all of this CP when he was a 19-year-old kid and keeping his journal where he had access to this Sunday school and this orphanage. The amount of victims that he had gotten in the past decade was believed to be over 200. And then in 2016, Richard's trial began and he pleaded not guilty. He genuinely thought that he wasn't at fault here. He said that in a lot of the cases, the CP was not his, but instead just popped up on his hard drives, but at the actual trial, it took over an hour to read all of his crimes and the judge made a call to separate this conviction into three separate jurors because he said that not one jury should be subjected to all of the heinous and terrible crimes of Richard. They felt that it was in the jury's best mental health if they just were to separate the evidence into three separate juries instead of just having one group. Meanwhile, his trial, the police were able to crack some of Richard's encryptions on his laptop and were given access to over 20,000 child abuse photos and over 1,000 videos. And this was only a fraction of his possessions. As I said, they were only able to crack some of his encryption. So that doesn't even include all of the other hard drives he had that they weren't able to get access to. And they were also able to gain access to his Love Spot account where he would say disgusting things such as, quote, impoverished kids are definitely much, much easier to seduce than middle-class Western kids. I still plan on publishing a guide on this subject sometime. And 
when he says publish a guide, he basically means publish a guide on how to seduce poverty children. And when he's referring to this guide, this is a guide that he actually made that the police ended up finding. And it was a 60-page document with the title, quote, Pedophiles and Poverty, Child Lover Guide. And it was basically a guide on how pedophiles can get away with being a pedophile if that child is a family of poverty, if they are uneducated, if they are in unfortunate situations to where if they were to speak up, no one would listen to them. So Richard quite literally took advantage of these innocent children's life and what they were born into for his own pure benefit and even encouraged others to do the same by making this guide on how to do so. And they were also able to find a bunch of other very graphic and disgusting posts on this, but again, I will not say all of them because a lot of them are very, very graphic. And so with all of this new evidence coming forward, the 20,000 photos that were found, the 1,000 videos that were found, all of his disgusting posts about how he wanted to do this with children and how he's already done this with children, the whole three-year-old taking advantage of a three-year-old and comparing them to the obedience of a dog, making an entire 60-page document on how to encourage others to also take advantage of vulnerable children in unfortunate situations. And then in April of 2016, that is when the jury made a decision on uh, Richard's conviction and Richard decided to take a plea deal in which he pled guilty for only 71 counts of child abuse instead of 90. It was said that all the kids that he had abused ranged from ages 12 years old all the way to six months old. And Richard was then convicted with an insane amount of crimes. I think this is probably the most I've ever seen someone convicted of this many crimes. He was convicted of three counts of causing a child under 13 to engage in sexual activity, three counts of causing a child under 13 to engage in penetrative activity, eight counts of assault by penetration, 12 counts of indecent photos of children, 13 counts of rape of a child under the age of 13, 31 counts of sexual assault of a child under the age of 13, creating over 20,000 indecent images, advertising CP, and facilitating child sex offenses by writing a pedophile manual. And after all of that, he was only given a life sentence with possibility of parole in 25 years. No such thing as no parole at all, just in 25 years, we'll circle back and see if you can go back into society. And with this, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that Richard would most likely get out very quickly. I mean, the whole reason why I brought up the Brian Way situation, for example, is because Brian Way had made the website. He had made a website filled with CP that garnered over $4 million and yet he only got 20 months for his crime. He was supposed to serve 10 years, only got 20 months. And through that, he also made a lot of money off of it. So with how Brian Way had created that website, whereas Richard was just a member of a website, it was very probable that Richard was not going to serve out his entire sentence. And he was probably, if not given parole at 25 years, was going to be released for lower than that. But although Richard was probably going to get out in 25 years, he would actually never live to see that day. And then on October 13th of 2019, a fellow inmate of Richard's by the name of Paul Fitzgerald had actually murdered Richard. 
Paul was in prison due to his attempted assault on a 59-year-old dog walker where Paul held a metal fork to the woman's neck and said to do as he says. This woman was able to get away from him and immediately called the police. And upon arresting Paul, the police uncovered a journal that Paul kept where he placed all of his darkest and twisted fantasies. In his journal, he talked about how he loved to rape women and his desire to molest a four-year-old boy as well as killing and eating people. This journal was clear evidence that Paul was going to act out one day. He was possibly going to kill someone one day. He was a very big danger to society. He had all of these dark desires that he just hasn't acted out on yet by the consideration of his previous criminal history. He had so, so many arrests for assault in the past. It was no doubt in their mind that he was probably going to act up and act out on these very dark and twisted fantasies. So, due to this, he was given a life sentence, which very crazy that he didn't even do anything and he got a life sentence without parole, yet Richard did do something for 10 years um, and he only got a life sentence with the possibility of parole in 25. And so Paul, even though he was in jail, he was also known for being a very big troublemaker. There was one specific instance where he had threatened a female officer while that officer was doing shakedowns in his cell, where basically officers will go into each and every cell and shake down their room, throw their stuff around, flip over their mattress, search for drugs. They would also search the inmates themselves and during this shakedown Paul had grabbed the woman by the neck pinned her to the ground and said quote give me your keys or I'll stab you so he was known for causing trouble in this prison and on October 13th of 2019 Paul had decided that he was going to kill four of his inmates and his first victim was going to be Richard Huckle Richard and Paul were placed in HMP Full Sutton Prison, which Full Sutton Prison is literally the worst prison in all of England, or at least one of the worst prison in England. So, with Richard being Paul's first victim, Richard went to Richard's cell, and that is where he bound Richard's wrists with cable ties. He banged Richard's head on the ground, thus breaking Richard's jaw, before Paul had SA'd Richard, and then continued to beat him. After this, Paul had taken out a homemade blade and began to cut up Richard's body before strangling him again. This attack lasted an entire 80 minutes with absolutely no one to stop him. There was no police coming around. There was no officers checking inside the cell. This went on for an entire hour and 10 minutes until finally someone came around, decided to take a peek in, saw what was going on, but when they went in there, it was too late and Richard had passed away. So, we will never truly know if Richard would have gotten out after 25 years, but from the looks of it and how previous people who had been in Richard's situation and even worse had gotten a way better sentence than Richard, it's not that crazy to think that he would have gotten out a lot sooner. And unfortunately, that is something that happens very, very often. Sometimes the judge will give a sentence to someone just to make it look like justice is served, just for that person to be released in no time due to them appealing their sentence and then they give him a lesser sentence. This has been seen time and time again where a lot of a case will get a lot of traction and due to this, the judge feels the need that they need to give this person a life sentence to um, basically prevent any societal backlash. But once that person is given the life sentence, they then appeal their sentence and then they only give that person like 10 years or something. So, it only looks like justice is served temporarily until that person is just later released. 
as for the aftermath of all of this, uh, the only thing that I could really find was that one orphanage that um, it was called New Hopes for Children Orphanage. It was the orphanage that uh, Richard was in for only two days. That orphanage would later come out once Richard's uh, case was out on TV, where they made a statement saying that Richard worked with them several years ago, but they wanted to rest assured that Richard was never left alone with any of the kids unsupervised, as well as Richard only staying there for two days. That's all I could really find as far as update-wise. All of the families now prefer to just live very private and quiet lives. I feel like this is a very traumatizing thing to go through, not just for the children, but the family of the children. When you accept someone into your home, you know, you are a part of that family. And when that family member betrays your trust, it's, it's a very tough thing to go through. It's a very traumatizing thing to go through and also you as a parent would feel very terrible that you allowed this person into your house and that person then did unimaginable things to your child. It's it's terrifying and as bad as it may sound, I think we were all completely fine to see Richard go. And I know that may sound harsh, but you know, people get the death penalty every single day for lesser, worse crimes than Richard did. So I think, you know, in his own way, he kind of did receive a death penalty for what he did. But yes, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, make sure to give it five stars because it really does help me out a lot. This was a very, very heavy case to go through because I feel like if you have younger siblings or if you have younger nieces or nephews, it's always really, really hard to learn about this stuff. Or if you yourself have children, it's very, very hard to hear all of these things because it makes you very scared of the world. It makes you feel like you can't trust any adult around your kid. And it's it's terrifying, but that's unfortunately the worlds that we live in, we've always lived in a scary world, you know, even back in like the 90s, 80s, you know, it was a very scary world to live in. And so reading things like this really does make you a little scared to have children. But yes, again, that is the end of today's video. Make sure to be safe out there. Get outside today, get some sunlight, read a good book, eat your favorite food, watch your favorite movie, do some self-care today, take care of yourself, um, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.